This podcast is brought to you by the Phytogenic Chef. Get started with your plant-based meal plan today at thephytogenicchef.com. Take 15% off with discount code PLP15 at checkout. Hello and welcome to the Peace Love Plants podcast. I'm your host, Marco Knox. What is the scariest news that you've ever received? Was it news that left you feeling helpless and frightened for your life? Today, we meet Paul Chatlin, a man that seemingly had it all. A great job, a beautiful family, and living the American dream. But not all that glitters is gold. Denial is a devious character, and it creeps up on us when we're faced with certain aspects of ourselves. Unknowingly, I lived in a world of denial for many years. You see, denial doesn't present itself in a way that makes you want to change. It's just the opposite. It makes you feel good by offering another version of what is truly happening. It makes you look outward versus within. And sadly, it takes a toll on so many people as they fall into its luring trap. That very trap almost cost Paul Chatlin his life. Gifted with a second chance, though, Paul made some game-time decisions and promises that would forever alter his path. His story is one of a complete transformation. It will leave you feeling motivated and perhaps even like you should take an internal selfie. So without further delay, let's dive into this episode titled Gurney Promises with Paul Chatlin. Paul Chatlin, welcome to the Peace Love Plants podcast, my friend. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it. That's not a problem. Thank you for joining me. You know, I'm really excited to speak with you and share your incredible story. It resonates with so many people, myself included. And I just can't wait to get it out there because your message is impactful. So our listeners heard a little bit about you in my introduction, but let's dive deep and really get to know who you are and what it is that you do. And let's set the stage here. You were born in the Motor City, Detroit, Michigan. Whoop, whoop. Yeah, I love it. Walk me through what it was like growing up in Detroit during that time. All right. So growing up in Detroit, I was part of a very big family. We had 22 cousins. And I was one of three boys. So it was 19 girls, 33 boys. Being the middle of the three, I was that middle child, impulsive, rambunctious, but I had a lot of fun and I was kind of treated kindly by everybody. I had a blast and everything was centered around the family. Unfortunately, my mom passed when I was pretty young and the family kind of broke up. Still, we still connected at times with other family members. But growing up where I did was a wonderful experience. I grew up on a street in Detroit where there were 12 guys ranging in age from like 7 to 14 growing up. And every day it was sports. Every moment it was sports or it would be games. You know, I'd be Red Rover, kick the can. It was a blast growing up in Detroit. Went to Dow Elementary, Taft Middle School, Henry Ford for a semester. Just had a great time growing up. I had a love of sports, which transcended into playing baseball. I traveled with a bunch of different teams in Detroit. People could remember who are listening from Detroit. I played on Little Caesars, Andrea Appliance. We were fortunate enough to have a great team. So between the ages of 14 and 18, I was traveling all over the United States playing and I was a pitcher. So I had a great time, enjoyed myself. When I was 14, dad moved us over to West Bloomfield, Michigan. This was in the very early 70s. So that was all about peace and love and drugs. And I certainly enjoyed those three words and had a great time in high school. So my experience as a young person, for the most part, other than my mom, I had a good life. You know, I had a really good life. I enjoyed it. But school was not something I loved. I wanted to play. I wanted to do sports. I wanted to do anything but study. So interesting story. So I remember when I was in fifth grade, my fifth grade teacher asked my mom to come on in and she wanted to talk. She says, you know, it seems like Paul checks out after about 15 minutes if he's not interested in something. Well, my mom was so upset. She goes, come on, we're going home. But you know what's interesting? I think she might have been right. You know, generally speaking, if I'm not interested in something, and that kind of tortured me my whole life, I would kind of check out a little bit. You know, so I enjoyed learning, but grasping, holding on to things was always kind of a challenge. So finishing up in high school, I had some experiences as I started to attend Michigan State University. And I would work at Chrysler. So I had three different types of jobs for three different years. One was I would do the cleaning of the boilers throughout all their plants. And boy, that was a rotten job. 
The following year, they had me on sweeping an entire cement area where they did their test tracks of glass, and that was a miserable job. But in the third year, I was a replacement, summer replacement, for a guy who on the Nine Mile Mound stamping plant, and I'd lift sheet metal onto a conveyor. Now, for the first two weeks, miserable job. But as time went on, I got to be stronger and stronger and stronger, loved what I was doing. And I thought, ah, oh, I don't want to go to college. I want to do this the rest of my life. Begged my uncle, who was a head of personnel, to get me a job. He said he could, but he had to ask my dad. Well, my dad said, no, you got two choices. You go in the military or you go to college. So I said, well, I'm going to just go in the military line. So I was ready to sign up and I was looking around going, I don't know if I really want to do this. Maybe I'll try school. So I went to school and again, studying was tough. My goal was not to get a master's, a doctorate. Mine was not to get a four point. Mine was to pass. Well, lucky enough, I did. And in every story I tell about my college career, what I'll always tell people is this. They do an exit interview at college and my counselor came in and said, okay, congratulations. You're about ready to graduate. And oh, I see you have a job offer at Land Lake Butter Company. We'll get back to that. But I find it here I am today, whole food plant-based. And my first job was Land Lake's Butter Company. Yeah. So Bernie Ferris, wherever you are, I love you and thank you. But she said, Paul, you're four credit shy. I said, are you kidding me? I'm leaving in a couple of weeks for Wisconsin to start my career. She said, hold on. About two hours later, she said, all right, you graduated. I never asked her how she did it. Didn't care. But she was somebody who, because if I didn't get those credits, I would have not gotten that job. Uh, that path would have just been a different path. So getting out of college, went to Wisconsin. My goal was to promote Land Lakes cheeses and butters and their product line throughout the state. My first job was to introduce margarine in Wisconsin Butter Company. Oh my goodness, that was crazy. But every single weekend, I would be able to bring home a five pound block of cheddar or extra cheddar cheese. So on Friday, I started eating it, and on Sunday, it was done. I loved it. Little did I know what was going to happen in my future. We're going to get to that. Yeah, and just a, a little funny add-on to that was after a year and a half, Stouffer Food Company hired, you know, back even then, it was about the money. So they offered me a better opportunity, and my job was to introduce their product line, including Lean Cuisine, but they also had us test market Nestle Toll House cookies. So they had frozen Nestle Toll House cookies. I probably had a hundred chocolate chip cookies a week, maybe more. Oh, I love those things. We'll get to the fact that I was truly a foodaholic, but I would work out all the time. So it kind of balanced and that's all I knew. Yeah. Wow. That's fascinating. I didn't realize that you had that type of work experience and especially in that field. My goodness. So takeaways from what you just said for me is, let me look at where we're at in terms of recording. I've got approximately eight minutes to keep your attention and we'll be at that 15 minute mark. (laughs) (laughs) This is of interest to me. So you got me. Okay. (laughs) Okay. We're good on that. And something I really like, baseball, that's fascinating. And especially in Michigan, because I grew up in Michigan too. And there was two things you can count on, at least when I was growing up. And it sounds like when you were growing up too in Michigan, at least from a sports perspective, were the Red Wings and the Tigers. The Tigers specifically, especially in 84, the World Series, man, was that a team. Old Tiger Stadium on Michigan and Trumbull. I remember it like it's still there. Unfortunately, it's not still there. Comerica Park is a new place. But man, when Gibby hit that home run and broke that light. I was at the game. And as soon as we knew that we had the game in hand, immediately it bedlam. It was like jumping over the fence in center field. And running out of the field. And yeah, I was one of the Yahoos who was throwing probably, you know, a sod into the stands. But it was euphoria. It was great. When we left, I was seeing all these people burning cars. I thought, what's wrong with these people? But there were a lot of drunks, a lot of craziness on that day at that time. But boy, it sure was amazing. It was electric when he hit that home run because everyone was just realizing that they had won a championship again. Oh, yeah. Probably the greatest home run in, in World Series history. So let's transition. You're, you're working now. Have you met your wife at this point yet? Are you in a relationship yet? Or are you just working and grinding? I married my childhood sweetheart. And unfortunately, or fortunately, it lasted for about 10 years. Mm-hmm. We were able to have two boys, which is wonderful. But when she left, I got custody of the two boys. So back, think about this. This is back in the 80s. That was a rarity. And, you know, they do this on friend of the court and who's probably the most stable, whatever the reason. There's like 14 items. and. 
if you have the majority of them, then that's where their children stay. So I was awarded majority custody of the boys. They stayed at the house with me. And my job then was to simply be a dad, a coach, and work. I didn't have time for relationships. Not saying that I didn't meet people along the way, but my goal as a parent was to take care of my two boys, make sure that they're safe and they're growing up good young men. So that took another 10 years out of my life. I'm very lucky because we're very, very, very close. They live very close to me. So it all worked out well for us. But 20 years ago, I did meet the true love of my life. Her name is Tracy. Man, I just think back the first time I saw her, I absolutely took my breath away. and I thought, man, I'd like to have her. <laughs> you know, we were dating other people at the time. And, you know, she came in, I was at that point, I was doing telecommunication consulting. So I was at her office and her boss said, hey, I'm ready to sign this, but Tracy, will you come in and take a look at the contract? And she did all contract reviews for this huge company that had a lot of commercial real estate throughout the Midwest. I think about 2.7 million square feet of real estate. They were big. So she walked in, takes my breath away and she rips my contract up. I thought, man, that's pretty cool because I didn't care about the contract. I was just looking at her and we ended up connecting again a couple months from then. What was interesting is she called up one day and said, well, I broke up with this guy. And I said, well, good. I'll introduce you to a friend of mine. Maybe you'll like to go out with a friend. Well, two months later, he never called. Well, at that point, I was not in a relationship. But I said, hey, how about if you and I go out? And I'm letting you know this right now. After the third date, I looked at her and I said, I'm going to marry you. But I need you to give me a signal because if you don't give me a signal, and it doesn't work out, or, or I do it too early because I'm ready today, then I'll be heartbroken and I've had enough. So about three months later, I took her up to, I think, Niagara Falls, and we followed that up with an immediate trip down to Florida, and I got the look. And I'm telling you, as soon as she gave it to me, boom, diamond on hand, okay? She was living up in Ann Arbor, and she had a son, and then she moved in with us in West Bloomfield, Tracy and I and the three boys, and thank goodness they're all great boys and they got along great, even though I will tell you the ages of between 14 and 18 were exhausting with the three boys. But I'm here to say that today they're my closest friends. It all works out. I love it. So it sounds like you're living a wonderful Midwestern life, working hard, taking care of your family, but something was amiss with regard to your health. Let's go into that space and take me through that time of your life when you started to realize that maybe something wasn't quite right? I think at the age of around late 20s, early 30s, you know, we'd go to the doctors every year and the doctor would say, Paul, your cholesterol's getting higher and higher. He said, well, try and eat these things. You know, and back then it was skim milk, egg whites, reduced calorie or skim cheeses. And I would do it. Didn't taste too good, by the way, back then. Doesn't taste too good now. But I would still eat too much. I was that guy when he went to a restaurant, you know, I'd say, well, don't just give me one Coca-Cola, just give me four. So that way I don't have to bother you. Or I was a big fan of, if I like two things on the menu, I'd buy both of them, eat one, and then take the other one home. I was also the guy who would say, uh, oh, you got bread in that oil? How about give me a vat of oil a couple loaves of bread with those spices. Oh my goodness, I loved it. But I was a big, big eater. At the same time, I liked working out. So I was always one of these people who, when baseball stopped, I started playing golf and I would work and work and work and became a pretty decent golfer for a while. I'm terrible now, by the way. But then I moved over to tennis and I take some classes and some trainers. So it was always something. And then in amongst all that, I was always a weightlifter, so I was always working out, doing something. My thought was simply, and think about it, is I didn't know about nutrition. I knew I overate, but I didn't know how bad I was eating, but I knew I worked out. So the old you know, story about you cannot work a bad diet. Well, the fact is, no one knew about this back in the 80s and 90s. Very little was talked about. So then that all led into getting on cholesterol medication. Now think about this. Back when I started, they had three types of cholesterol medications. There was Zocor, Lipitor, and Pravastatin. That was it. So they put me on Zocor, and after about, oh, a month, I woke up and could not walk. Painful. My muscle enzymes were over 1,500, which was, you know, they should be less than 100. I was in so much pain. They thought I might have MS. Went to an MS clinic. They said, no, you don't have that. Got me off the medication. Within two days, I was okay again put me on Lipitor. Same thing happened seven months later. 
So finally he said, well, all we got to give you is Provostat. And they put me on the biggest dosage, which is a much tamer cholesterol medication. So they put me on 80 milligrams. At that time, my cholesterol was about 350. Through a little bit of diet improvement, more importantly, the Provostat, I baseline for the next, I don't know, 10 to 15 years with a cholesterol number of 280. And my doctor would say, ah, as long as it's not getting higher again, I guess we could live with it. Until one day, I woke up with more chest pain than I've ever felt. Probably the worst pain I've ever felt. And it literally, when they say it's like an elephant on your chest, it is so true. I just laid in bed for a half an hour and I wait and it would go away. So then I'd conduct my day. I still playing tennis, but every day and every night it'd come back. And I wouldn't tell anybody because I kept thinking, I'll just go away. I was pretty ignorant, not only of nutrition, but just in general person's health. But you know how sometimes when something's not right and it's really not right, you just think, you hope and pray it'll go away, but you know that it needs some attention. So I remember one day I was, I work in the telecom business. I was at a customer site and I literally could not take seven steps without my chest just killing me. So I literally was in an office building, went over in a corner, just laid there for a little bit. And I said, you know what? I'm going to have to go see a doctor now. This was three months of dealing with this pain. So I didn't tell anybody, not even my wife, which later I realized that was a grave mistake. I went to the doctor and he heard a heart murmur he had not heard before. Immediately, he says, I'm going to get you to a cardiologist. So they do the entire battery of tests up to a heart catheter and a heart biopsy. And the doctor at the Beaumont Hospital says, I'm going to schedule these two, but years of experience are telling me one of two things. You're going to need a heart transplant or a heart bypass. When somebody tells you that, everything stops. Yeah. I was sad. I was heartbroken and scared. On the way home, I went to my wife's office and I said, I need you in the conference room. So it was just her and I, and I'm starting to share the story. And I said, I'm so sorry to tell you, but I didn't want you to worry. I I love her that much. I didn't want to worry her. She kind of clucked me on the head with that in amongst all the tears that she was crying. And her boss came up to me and her boss said, what's going on? And we had to explain it to him. And he said, hold on for a minute. And it turned out a couple years prior, he needed a lung transplant and he got it at the Cleveland Clinic. Listen, he was in his 70s, early 70s. He was also had a lot of money. So again, without judging too deeply, somehow he got a lung transplant quickly, but I know that he donated a lot to save many. I'm not going to judge the person that he took the lung from versus the hundreds or thousands of people he helped. But he made a call and got me into the Cleveland Clinic to do my test the day before I was scheduled for Beaumont. So that to me was a miracle, absolute miracle. Because you know, if you called the Cleveland Clinic today or back then seven years ago, it might have taken you six months or a year to get in. So we drive out to Cleveland. I do the same battery of tests. And again, my cardiologist, Dr. Mason Hanna, thank you dear God for you. He said, listen, we're going to do a heart catheter next. And I kind of always smile when I tell about a heart catheter because it's scary stuff, but it's not really that painful. They did it through my wrist. So the recovery is not eight hours as it would be through a groin, but rather four hours. And you're in la-la land. But before they do anything, they prep you because they don't know if you're going to need immediate surgery. So think about this. They put you on Demerol, then they shave you head to toe. So think about the visual. I'm laying there barely in and out, looking at myself totally shaven and laughing. Because, you know, when you think you're a man, you get shaved one time, you start laughing. I just like, you're such a little boy. I always laugh at that. That must have been an extremely difficult thing for you. I mean, not sharing such scary information with your wife. I mean, the thoughts must have been just downright frightening. We've all had passing thoughts of what it would be like if we died or if our partner was left behind. This just must have been front and center for you during this time. Listen, I was trying to think that today would be the day it would go away. Yeah. Again, you know how like anything, it could be, you know, when I grew up and I uh, bust an ankle or broke my nose, you know, everything was always fixed over time. So I just thought without knowing that much that this would just go away. But I'm certain now knowing about what stress does and all the things that make up someone's personal happiness and health, I certainly went about it the wrong way, but I just didn't want to worry her needlessly if it was going to go away. But once I realized this was real serious, I got her involved. So kind of going back, here I am at the Cleveland Clinic. 
You're freshly shaved. You're laughing. You feel like you're in the 70s again. Love those 70s. I'm now in doing the heart catheter and I hear the doctor say, yes, yes, yes. I'm barely in and out. But I said, by the way, I wish I had his card, but Dr. Mazahanna was head of heart transplant because that's what they thought I needed. Mm -hmm. Okay, That's why they assigned me him. So he kept saying, yes, yes, yes. I go, why? He goes, you don't need a heart transplant, but you do need immediate bypass surgery. Well, that's a scary thought because when I was a young kid, the big story was, as I mentioned earlier, I was one of three cousins. But what I did share with you is it was all about my dad and his brothers. And during a three-year period between the ages of 10 and 12, three out of four of his brothers died of heart disease. So these are the guys I looked up to. And within a two, three-year period, they were done. And my dad had quadruple bypass surgery during that period. So all of them in their 50s were affected with heart disease. And while my dad made it and lived till I think 74, 75, the fact is, is here I was now. Think about it. I'm on the gurney. They're telling me I need bypass. I'm in my 50s. Of course, I'm thinking about my dad and my uncles. I love these guys. Well, I also at that point said, well, I've got three sons. I don't want this to happen to them. So here I am on the gurney being wheeled in for bypass and right at the surgical door, my doctor looks at me and he says, would you be willing to make a nutritional change and maybe not have bypass? Yes. I mean, I, I was like, I'll do anything. Now, it's one thing. I remember I, I mentioned to you, I'm a little, probably a lot of OCD at times, impulsive a little bit. Yeah, I'm getting better. There's hope. But my point is, is that I didn't know what nutrition was seven years ago. I just knew I didn't have to have the surgery if I agreed to it. So when I told him yes, he said, well, I want to let you know that you're only the second patient I've had in 20 years that I've offered this to, and the first one failed me, so you better not fail me. I said, I'll do whatever it takes. Well, it turns out his mentor in med school was Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn. The legend. Now, think about it. Like I get into the Cleveland Clinic, and they have hundreds of doctors all cardiologists, you know, heart doctors. And they assigned me the one guy whose mentor was Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn. Things are lining up for you. Yeah, the second miracle, getting in, picking out of hundreds of doctors, the one doctor who knew about nutrition. And then the amazing thing happened was, and I, by the way, never knew of my doctor until that day, never heard about nutrition, never had a clue about Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn. So here I am, nine o'clock at night on a gurney, he says, hold on, gets his cell phone. He says, hey, Essie, I got somebody I want you to talk to. So this guy, don't know who he is, says, Paul, this is Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn. Why don't you just go on home and I'll give you a call in the morning. <laughs> just pop up off the gurney, shake it off and go home. Yeah, I mean, a couple hours later, we're driving from Cleveland back. And I'll just tell you how much I love my wife is that it was about one o'clock in the morning when they released me. And it was a miserably rainy day. And she's like, let's just get a hotel. I said, honey, I just want my bed. It's been a long day because we left at four in the morning to get to Cleveland by eight. So my little beautiful wife, she drove me all the way home, got in my bed, slept for an hour and a half, two hours. And then Dr. Hesselson calls and we spent two hours with him. That was the last time I ate any meat, dairy, oil, no guacamole, no nuts. I gave it all to charity. Went to Whole Foods, spent four hours label reading. And here I am seven years later, and I've lost almost 80 pounds. My cholesterol is, okay, ready? 88. 88, total cholesterol, 88? Yeah. Wow. From 350 down to 88. The coolest thing is, back as we mentioned about the 70s and the enjoyment I had, the best drug I ever had in my life is Whole Food plant-based. Amen. It is pure energy. Every morning I'm up at 5.30 and I'm working hard until I go to sleep. And by about 10 o'clock, I'm not tossing and turning. It's shutdown time. It's true. I mean, when we were talking earlier to set this up, I remember sending you an email with some dates and times to suggest for you. And you're like, yeah, I mean, I'm usually available 5.30. And I thought to myself, 5.30? I mean, I get up early, but I'm not ready to record at 5.30 in the morning, Paul. You said 5.30 to 8. I was like, all right, I'll take 7.59. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just, you know what, it's, it's funny because I will say that I love it early. By the way, I find it always interesting that I love it so early because growing up, I would always say, if I'd see the sunrise, the first thought I always had was, what am I doing up? I was a night owl. But then things change in life. And now I get up early and I did it as a father to my kids. 
because it was my quiet time. A couple hours before I had to get everything going in my life, it allowed me to do some reading and some meditation and just some thinking. So I've just kept that going ever since. It gives me a bigger day. I feel like, you know, like at the crack of dawn, I'm out there working, I'm riding my bike, I'm doing things. But here I am today, when I was on that gurney, I said to myself, you know how people do this in their lives, they say, Lord, if you get me out of this one, I'll owe you one. Well, I did that throughout my life because, you know, I got in a little bit, never went to jail, but I'd get in some trouble along the way. And I always prayed that the Lord would get me out of it. So I said, listen, this time, if you get me out of this bypass or get me out of this, I'll do something. Funny enough, he took care of me. I didn't have to do the bypass. By the way, I had angina, literally could walk. It took me about ooh, a month or so for the angina to totally go away, go plant-based. And the most beautiful thing happened in 14 days. You see, I didn't like vegetables a whole lot. Didn't hate them, but didn't really like them that much. After 14 days of just eating a lot of vegetables, taste buds change. They so do. now it's not so bad. You know, it's not so bad. And truly, after seven years, I'm just throwing out some thoughts for people. The thing I still miss occasionally is chocolate, occasionally. But beyond that, nothing. And I was a pizza-holic. I really was. But I don't miss any of that stuff. I just do not. So here I am on the gurney, made a promise, and I'm thinking to myself, what can I do? So I'm convalescing. You know, literally, I had to spend the next three months. Maybe I should share for just a moment. It wasn't just that I had a heart murmur. They discovered I had a left bundled block. I had scar cytosis on the right side of my heart. I had leaky valves. I had an enlarged heart. Wow, so you're dealing with a host of complications. Oh, yeah, yeah. Not just heart disease. I mean, you've got the full gamut. I did. And plus, I had a 100% block on my right artery. I got to say something to everybody, which was kind of a cool thing, is that when they showed me the x-ray of the blockage, the amazing part was I had what they call collateral arteries all over. It looked like a little spider's nest all over where the blockage was. And that's your body saying, I want you to live. I had all these new little arteries. So the only thing that they could do, they had to shrink the size of my heart because the valves were kind of leaking out. So they put me on three-month bed rest. That did not go well with me. You already admitted you're OCD, so laying down for three months, let alone three hours, is not working for you. Did I admit that? (laughs) You did. I didn't draw that conclusion, (laughs) I promise. Well, I just, you know, hey, listen, you got to own it in life. That's what I do. I just own whatever, the good and bad of me. But my point here is that they put me on drugs, so literally I was sleeping 18 hours a day. They needed to shrink the heart so the valves wouldn't work. Now, thank God it all worked out. But my day was simply sleeping and cooking whole food plant-based, and I didn't really love cooking, okay? It wasn't something I enjoyed doing. I didn't mind the cooking. I didn't like the cleaning, okay? That was my thing. I just didn't love the cleaning. So during that three-month period, I thought, hmm, I need to take a cooking class. So I went to the Esselstyn's cooking class, half-day cooking class, and I took the receipt. I put it in the Blue Cross Blue Shield. They denied me. I said, oh, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go work with Blue Cross Blue Shield and get a pay code, yes. So people in the future, if they want to not have the bypass and save you know, $120,000 for bypass surgery, that we could teach them how to cook and maybe get a pay code so they won't have to be charged for a cooking class. Well, I had three months to convalesce, so I worked the pyramid from top to bottom at Blue Cross Blue Shield. I went to the eighth level, and they finally said, sorry, you have to work with the legislature to get that pay code authorized. I said, that is not what I want to do. I do not want to start driving an hour and a half to Lansing and work with the legislature. Because aside from Wisconsin, Michigan's a big dairy town. So where am I going to go with this? So I realized I promised to give something back. So I put an ad in the paper. It was like a $20 ad in my West Bloomfield local paper. And I said, listen, I have heart disease. I've been able to reverse it. I want to share everything I got at my house and show you everything I do from cooking to the food to label reading to my story. And I said, if you're interested, I got room for 20 people. Two days, 20 people called, boom. Within a week, they're at my house. And this is beautiful because this is before the internet, really, and you're just going out there sticking an olive branch out to people. Like, I want to share this message with people, and this is the only way I know how right now. And the response was positive. Yeah, and what's so cool about it, of the 20, 12 people are still with PBNSG today. That's beautiful. of those 12, four of them are hosts for our small groups. So then I said, well, maybe that was a cool thing. It was fun, so let's do it again. Did the following month, two days, three days later, filled up. So I said, well, I'm on to something here. You know, this is maybe my give back. So 
I realized that I'm not a doctor. And even though I spent the first three months, six months learning everything I could back then of nutrition, I needed to have a holistic cardiologist because we, you know, I was a heart disease patient. So I called the heads of three hospitals, said, give me a name of any holistic cardiologist. And they gave me three different names, but one name was repeated, and that was Dr. Joel Kahn. I never knew Joel Kahn. I never talked to him, never met him, but I called him up first since he had the repeating name. And he invited me over his house within three hours. I realized I don't need to see anybody else. And while at times kind of controversial, he is my brother, just simply. Dr. Khan is the best. He's been on the show three times. I love Dr. Khan. He's brilliant. And I openly will say I love him. If you're going to come at me with Dr. Khan, we're going to come back at you with me and Dr. Khan because he's been there for me from day one and he's never said no to anything. He's always been there for me. So I said, hey, would you be interested in being by my side? I want to do something. He said, let's take it into the hospital. At that point, he was at Beaumont Hospital. So we kind of put a few ads in the paper and we thought, we well, yeah, maybe we'll get 30, 40 people. We had 123 the first time. The following month, we had 147, give or take some numbers, in two days before our third meeting. And basically, it was basically uh, Paul telling his story and then Joel talking about the science. So in the third meeting, two days before the third meeting, Beaumont cancels us. Now, they said it was because we got too big, but they are a standard American diet hospital and we were a plant-based group. Whatever. Thank you for the two months. And there was a reason why they waited to the last two days. But I had a call. I remember 143 people because I had a list and I didn't know where I was going to take them. So I, in any podcast interview, I always do a praise to the Birmingham school systems. I was calling everybody from churches to synagogues to high schools because I had to find a place to go to. I didn't really want to get into the churches or the synagogues. I want to keep it agnostic. And the Birmingham school systems, who we've been with for seven years now, opened their doors and their hearts to us. And I want to just personally thank them because they were so kind to me when I needed it the most. And I will always be loyal to you. The reason why we chose it too is in Michigan, you know, it's as far east as you could go without being on the east side. It's like a hour drive from Detroit, give or take, or Ann Arbor, from other of the key cities around. And it was centrally located. I really could have had it in West Bloomfield right, so I could walk there, but I wanted to kind of have it centrally located. So here we were, and this is what started the plant-based nutrition support group back six years plus ago. So PBNSG is formed. You and Dr. Khan meet. You form this wonderful relationship. He's out there doing this already. So he needed a guy like you, really. And you needed a guy like him, it sounded like. And you guys meet and you form this beautiful group and it's taking off. Now, this is back in what, 2013? You said roughly seven years ago? Yeah, it's going to be seven years. Actually, it's, let's see, it's like six and a quarter years old right now. But it's all grassroots. It's not like you're funded and you're parts of this big conglomerate. I mean, you guys are out there beating the street with your feet, picking up the phone, just getting the message out. And now here you are today. Let's fast forward. It's 2020 now. And your group has grown exponentially. I mean, share with us the numbers and your reach that you're currently touching and the impact you're currently making. Well, just to let you know, what I did is when I realized the cost of a bypass surgery, I put a great majority of that in the bank and I used that as funding for PBNSG because you can't do anything without money. So we started you know, back uh, around 2013, 14 right there. Well, the whole idea was to have monthly meetings and one morning I said, you know what we need to do? Because I have some friends who have been in AA and I saw the success that AA has is we need to have something called small groups in every city we can. So as an organization, as we, you said, fast forward, we have about 7,300 members. And you're right. We don't have any big sponsors. I just still, you know, to this day, I, I don't know why not. So I'm asking, please sponsor us. My goodness, we're a good group. You heard that, people. Get on board. Yeah, come on now. And we've expanded. You know, it was, initially it was a heart disease organization, but I realized that being whole food, plant-based, no oil, it could help diabetes, obesity, autoimmune disease, or cancers. Even though I have a personal love of animals, I have a dog, Sophie, who's maybe one of the true loves, if not the true love of my life. It's competition to my wife, and I love her. And I worry about the planet. Gosh, if we can't take care of this planet, we'll have nothing for our kids. And I'm a grandfather. But saying that, I didn't want to go into the direction of the planet and animal rights. 
I went into pure human health because my thought is simply, humans are kind of selfish. You know who you are. We got to get it right with the humans because if we get it right with the humans, by default, we'll heal the planet and we'll take care of animals and not need to slaughter them needlessly. So we expanded to other areas. So we're at 7,300 people. The cool thing is, is the small groups just kept growing. We've got some 56 small groups in and around Michigan, but now we're into other states. This past year, we decided that we're going to slowly, strategically, and this is something, if anybody's listening, if you're interested, send me an email, paul at pbnsg.org. And I'll have that in my show notes for everybody too, Paul. What are you going to have? I'll have your contact information and your website in my show notes. I was going to see if I could trick you into repeating it again. Oh, Paul at pbnsg.org. <laughs> I know that. I've got a direct line to you, Paul. Thank you, brother. <laughs> <laughs> but so this year we're expanding strategically throughout the United States. It's not going to be, you know, a big swoof. We're all over. It's going to be just one city, one town at a time. But it's going to be run by professionals who are committed, who are whole food plant-based. So if you're interested, let us know. So we've got 56 groups. This past year, we actually came out with our very first cookbook called Perfectly Plant-Based. Here's something kind of cool. We knew we wanted to do a cookbook because there aren't like plant-perfect cookbooks out there. There's ones that have, you know, nuts and guacamole and all that. But we wanted to make it just perfectly plant-based. Now back up for a second, Paul, so people understand, what is plant perfect for PBNSG standards? No meat, no dairy, no oil, no guacamole, no nuts. Okay. So when you say plant perfect, people have that in their mind now. Yeah. And again, the overarching thing I want to share is that we as an organization, the number one rule that I have for everybody is we're not here to judge people. We're here to help people. We are not judging you. You know, it's interesting because about six months ago, I started taking on occasionally, every once in a while, I haven't had it in a while, but six walnuts a day because there is some advantages to doing it. No guacamole for heart patients, but six walnut halves if you could manage it. That's why Dr. Esselstyn always say, no nuts, no nuts, because he knows people can't just have six. Well, I can and I have. I don't have it all the time. But my point is on the perfectly plant basis, we have a website that's got wonderful recipes. So we reached out to our some 25, 26, by the way, run by Denise Kling Paltrow, our culinary curator, who does a fabulous job. And she, she does. Yeah, she reaches out to all the chefs around the world, you being one, to say, <laughs> hey, we want you. We want you. We reached out and said, hey, we're thinking about doing a cookbook. Who's interested? Every single one contributed. So it was like, oh, it felt good all over. So we got the cookbook going this year. And then we also finally came up with a membership called the Sprout Club. So these are some big undertakings that uh, has been going on at PBNSG, but some of the highlights that we've had over the years, if I could share with them. Please. Number one is we did a piece called Doctors Teaching Doctors. So we've got four local doctors run by Dr. Khan, Dr. Swinor, who's a wonderful doctor at Henry Ford Health Systems, expert in gut biome and gut flora. Also, we have Dr. Robert Brakey, who's now our chairman of the board. I'll get to that in a minute. And Dr. Carolyn Trapp, happy birthday. It was her birthday yesterday, and she's an expert in diabetes. And we had them teach 75 local doctors about the benefits of nutrition and plant-based. It was funny because we had 100 people scheduled, 75 showed up. I was so close to roasting the 25 who didn't show up because I had a huge waiting list. But again, this is one of those things where when a doctor says they don't teach it in school, I say to you, that's bullshit. You owe it to your patients to spend a little bit of time learning what could help them. And it should always be nutrition before pills or procedures, period. 100%. I want to comment on that because I have watched some of the lectures that you just mentioned. I think Khan was the last one that I saw. I spoke with Khan last week and he was surprised. He said, I don't even know they're recording this beautiful YouTube video and here I am. And it turned out great. And I've seen the other ones you've mentioned. And the reach is expanding because if you weren't one of those 75 to 100 people that were able to attend, you can watch it right through your website and the YouTube channel. So people can go on there and look at these lectures. And it's an important thing to do. I was talking to Dr. Garth Davis recently, and he mentioned how he didn't receive any nutrition schooling back when he was there. And he's one of thousands of doctors that didn't receive it, but he took it upon himself, like you just mentioned, to go. I owe this to my patients, I owe this to my practice, I owe this to myself to be putting out correct information and educating my patients on how to heal. Yeah, and I agree. And to that end, 
we also were involved with Wayne State Medical School. Thank you, Amanda Martin. She was the main first contact. We've had such good contacts and relationships at Wayne State Medical School. But now we have a PBNSG chapter at the medical school. So they meet once a month when they're in session. And the thing I'm so excited about was about three years into it, the person who was in charge of curriculum said, hey, we're doing a curriculum change. We don't want you to do a whole write-up of a whole class of plant-based nutrition, but let's just do, since we're going to be going to system-based, just give me four to six nutritional items of the nine systems of the body. So I asked 14 different first and second year medical students that were at U of M, Michigan State, Oakland University, and Wayne State Medical School. I hope I got them all right. And they formed a team and over a year and a half, and please, the respect I have for them is off the charts because I never knew how much they have to do to become a doctor. I had no idea. It's amazing how much they have to learn. There's so much in such a short amount of time, but they put the time in and we created medical course material. So even though politically it hasn't been received like I thought it would, it's available. So if you know that you could get this addition, we're not telling you to get rid of things out of your curriculum, but if you want to just add nutrition into a curriculum, let us know. Again, you could reach me at the, oh, we already went through that. But my point is, is that that's a big accomplishment for us. So we've done, like I said, a cookbook, we have a membership, we've got the small group, which is really the beacon of our organization. And the small groups are run by Dinah, and Dinah is the director of small groups. We've done the doctors teaching doctors. We had our first whole food plant-based picnic last year. We had like 400 people attend. And so we're always trying to do some different things to bring awareness. But about eight months ago, I started realizing more and more that first I was like wearing all these hats. I was chairman of the board, the CFO. I was the guy who had the money at that time. I was going to all the small groups. I'm like, wow, I got to go upstream with our board of directors because I just couldn't wear that many hats. And then I realized more than ever, we have to become younger. We have to make these changes when we were younger. So on the chairman of the board, I went up to Dr. Robert Brakey, who is a wonderful general practitioner up in Ann Arbor. He actually came to me. He says, I've been a doctor for 30 years. I see the same patients. I'm not improving their health. I said, well, how would you like to be chairman of the board of PBNSG? And he said, yes. So he is now our chairman of the board. No one finer. He lives his life perfectly plant-based. And then I had the true honor of meeting one of our hosts was in Detroit. Her name is Lisa Smith. And I would go to a couple of her meetings and I just felt motivated and I saw the passion. Certainly, I saw she was younger than me. Her intelligence was just off the charts. And I asked her about, oh, August of last year, would you like to run PBNSG as an executive director? And she said yes. And we are all so lucky that Paul Chatlin's not running it. Bob Brakey is the chairman of the board. Lisa's running it because, listen, I admit freely, I was good to start it. I want to be the greatest volunteer she ever has. That's my plan. And I got a couple other things in the works. But the point here is you have to let go. That was very difficult for me. Mm-hmm. But as I look back over the last four or five months, it was the right thing to do because we owe it to that next generation to help them along. And what scares me the most is when you look at the whole food plant based Hall of Fame people, they're getting much older. And I remember once bringing one of the greatest speakers into U of M, and we get to get their replies after, you know, like their thoughts or comments. And most of them were, because there was like a 50-year difference, was unrelatable, too old. It made me sad, but I get it. You know, youth will always be served. So it's important to let go of what you have to somebody better and younger. So that's kind of PBNSG at this point. I love it. And I, I really admire the fact that you were able to sit back and say, you know what? I do need to freshen this up. I need a reset. I need some fresh blood in here, so to speak, a younger generation, as you mentioned, because I mean, that's difficult when it's just your business, you know, but this isn't even a business for you. This is an outreach. This isn't nonprofit. You're helping people. And it's so intimate to you because you were the person that started this. You are the person that lived this life. And now you're helping to heal people. I really respect that, that you're able to sit back and go, all right, I need to reach more people. How am I going to strategically do this? And you found some people that were all in with the same mission as you. And you're right. Lisa's a wonderful human being. I've had the opportunity and the pleasure of speaking with her on a couple of occasions. And you're dead on. She's highly intelligent. She's very motivated. And you can tell that she's getting the job done. Because if you look at your page, and this is no knock to you, Paul. I mean, you freely admit it. A year ago to now, 
you can see the refresh, you can see the reset, you can see the growth happening and the reach just expanding. And that's beautiful because that's really the ultimate goal. We've been able to do it with two and a half employees. Now think about yeah. it. <laughs> Who's the half? Brett, our incredible IT director, he's the half. He's awesome too. And then Marion, who does so much work, she does everything all the time. She's the one. And then Lisa now is the other one. So I've never gotten money. I've just given and given freely because I promised I would give back seven years ago because it saved my life. You know, again, I'm glad that you see that because I realize a perfect example is today when we started, it took us a while to get things up and running. Well, my IT guy did it in a second. It'd take you about a second. I was ready to bolt. You know? <laughs> you know? So, I mean, my point is, is that it's not like I don't want to do it, but it's a little more painful for people who are a little bit older. But I've got an open mind. I'll keep trying. I appreciate you saying that. And I've met some great people along the way. You know, just who's that next generation of great doctors and leaders? They're out there. I know some of them. But, you know, as a nonprofit running it, the difficult time is if I can't get a headliner and I bring somebody in without giving names who I know is that next generation, people don't know who they are. And I count on those meetings to bring in the revenue so we could pay our two and a half employees. So that's where, you know, like I said, sponsorship would be great. But again, we have classes. The last couple of years, we've done some 20 educational and 20 cooking classes. So Vicki and Michelle, who are just wonderful chefs, are running all our cooking classes and we now we're going virtual. And then our local doctors, there's five of them, teach the classes and we're going to do that virtually. So we're pretty well-rounded with what we're offering, but there's so much more we could do. For example, we have strategic partnerships with great people like yourself now. We could offer your intelligence to the world and we kind of work together. Everything is workoutable. Thank you for saying that, by the way, Paul. I haven't heard someone call me intelligent in quite some time, so that was refreshing. I'll put it on my day timer. I'll date myself. I'll put it on my frankly day timer every month. I'll call you. Flip through your Rolodex and find my number. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, listen, life is good except for what we're enduring today. And you know what? I'm not going to get political on this one. It's scary. On every person I contact, I always say, be safe, be sheltered. So you know where my head's at saying that, though. I know that when the dust settles and we get past this, and we will, I hope people realize that the best defense you could ever have is a whole food plant-based diet because your autoimmune system will be in height awareness to combat anything. And I say that because I remember over the years when I'd get sick, in the past, it'd take me days and days to get through the flu. Usually it would take a half day and the next day I would fine. So I'm just saying that I hope that people look at what they put in their mouth as the best defense to anything that ails them. No doubt. To that point, you might not even get sick. So you don't even realize how many things you warded off before they even happen. I don't know if you know who uh, Eric Adams is. He's the Brooklyn president. I had him on the show a little bit ago and his closing thought was beautiful. He says to me, you know, people out there, the vaccine is here. It's the food you eat. It's the peppers. It's the kale. Inject yourself with that medicine. And that's the same sentiment you're having right here, Paul, is it's here. Let's eat our whole food plant-based lifestyle and let's ward off these things and fight them. So we're going to wrap this thing up here. But before we do that, Paul, is there anything you'd like to add we may have missed? Perhaps some words of wisdom for those that may be struggling with their own health issues. I know you just had a great recap on food, but if someone's going through what you went through, heart issues, and maybe they're hiding it, maybe they're scared to do the next thing, what would you say to someone like that? First of all, you're not alone, period. And secondly, I'm confronted with that all the time with people calling saying, this is where I'm at. People call me when they're in pain. And then you find out that they're almost like a third of the way or halfway there on their plant-based change and journey. And I try to say to them that anybody could do anything. You know how you see out there all the time, seven-day kickstarts, two-week kickstarts, 30-day kickstarts. Well, I'm a fan of 60 to 90 days. And I always remember, I've done a tour at uh, General Motors and Ford Motor Company, and I got to meet so many different people. I remember this gentleman, his name, we'll say is Dennis. And Dennis was easily 100 pounds overweight, and he was a diabetic. And he said, Dennis, how do you feel? He goes, Paul, I feel terrible every single day, every day. But I'm the head of my household, and I know I may only have 10 more years to live, but I need to take care of my family. I respect that. I get that. I'm a family person. I looked at him, and I said, listen, if I had a gun in my hand, and I said, if you don't give up meat, dairy, and oil today, 
you're done. He said, well, I guess I would make a change. Well, that's how you have to look at it when you're hurting. If you're lucky enough, like my two out of three of my boys are whole food plant-based, they're way ahead of the curve. They're in their 30s. They're already the healthiest 30-year-olds I know. So if you could start making subtle changes to an end when you're young, that's the benefit you'll get. But if you're my age, a little bit older, a little bit younger, and you could just sit there and say, I could do anything for 60 days. Because what happens? First, taste buds change. Secondly, you'll probably lose 20, 30 pounds and you'll start looking sexy again. Your numbers will drop. And that's the whole thing. You will get positive reinforcement in 60 days. Anybody could do anything for 60. Look what we're going through today. I've been in my house for nine weeks. Anybody could do anything for 60 days if they had to. And when you're sick, that's the time that you have to sit there and say, I could do this. And if you need support, that's why you have PBNSG. We are here to surround you with hugs and love without judgment. I love it. Thank you. That was a great way to close this impactful conversation out. I really appreciate that. You're a kind soul, Paul, and your work is positively impacting so many lives. Thank you for all you do to help humanity. It's, it's truly uplifting. Marco, finally, I'm so glad to meet you. I've always liked what you've been doing, but thank you so much for inviting me. I hope you have a beautiful day today. Likewise, my friend. Now that is a story of transformation. I mean, here is Paul Chatlin, a man lying on death's doorstep, faced with a possible heart transplant, or at the very least, a major bypass. But the universe had other plans, and through Paul, it would see those plans come to fruition. I admire and respect the fact that Paul made good on his gurney promise. We've all had them, I know I have. Maybe not as extreme as Paul's, but nonetheless, I've made a few in my day. It would have been easy for Paul to simply move on. He had his life back, and although his battle was far from over, he had his chance to live again. But he saw it through, and that commitment has manifested into a beautiful creation called Plant-Based Nutrition Support Group. And while PBNSG has been around for a few years now, they are just getting started, and I can hardly wait to see what they do next. One thing is for certain, they are going to save lives. And with a purpose-driven mission fueling your cause, anything is possible. In closing, I would like to add this. If you need help with your personal health and nutrition, don't be afraid. You're not alone. There are truly kind people in this world that will be there for you. Take the first step and reach out. I am here. Paul is here. Entire team at PBNSG is here. You're loved, and this world needs you. Until next time, peace, love, and plants.